All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 this morning. John chapter 3. John 3 is, is a very familiar portion of Scripture for really probably anybody who uh, has been saved for any length of time or part of a good church. Um, this passage of Scripture is going to be very familiar. Uh, but there's some great, great truth that we would do well to just meditate on for a while. And we're going to take our time through uh, John chapter 3, and we'll just see how the Lord leads in it all. But I want to read for our text this morning, verses 1 through 15. And I want you to follow along as we begin, and we'll work our way down through this passage. The Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Let me just stop there for a minute. I was reading that passage and something struck me, something hit me um, in the words that Nicodemus says. Notice that Nicodemus speaks in the plural where he says, we know that thou art a teacher. Who was Nicodemus? Well, he was a Pharisee, right? He was a ruler of the Jews. And it, the thought that struck me was, you know how the, the Pharisees, the religious, uh, treated Jesus and how uh, they said that he was of the devil and they, they said all kinds of things about Jesus. But in reality, I, I would imagine that deep in their heart, they really knew the truth about Jesus. They just didn't want to accept it. Nicodemus said, we... We know, the Pharisees know, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Why? Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. What did the Pharisees accuse Jesus of the power? Where did he get his power to do these miracles? They said it was from the devil, didn't they? And many times they completely overlooked the miracle that Jesus performed, and they tried to accuse him. But in reality, deep down in their heart, they probably knew what was really true concerning Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah. Anyway, that's a side note. Nicodemus said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness." 
If I have told you earthly things and you believe me and you and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, would you use your word today to accomplish the purpose that you have sent it forth to accomplish in every heart? And Lord, I don't know the hearts of men, but Lord, you look down from heaven today and there's nothing that's hid from your sight. Lord, there's no thought uh, that is hidden or there's no attitude that is hidden from you. Lord, you know and see uh, every heart today. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a tenderness uh, amongst the people of God to the word of God, that there would be a tender response to the spirit of God today. Lord, would you bless your word as it goes forth, and Lord, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest lies that Satan has foisted on the human race is that religion can save you, or that religion is somehow going to get you to heaven. And when we speak of religion, what we mean is an adherence to the beliefs and the practices of a particular religion in the hope that the performance of those things will gain you a right standing with God. Whether that's Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or Judaism or Catholicism or even Christianity, and I make that distinction on purpose, by the way, there have always been people and there will be forever people, millions, who mistakenly think that obedience to their religion would somehow earn them eternal life. Nicodemus was not any different than that. He was a very religious man who thought that he was pleasing God or doing the work of God in the hopes that he would be accepted of God. The four Gospels make it very clear that the most difficult people to reach with the Gospel were not the notoriously wicked but rather the outwardly religious. Those were the hardest people to reach with the gospel. There are numerous accounts in the gospels of corrupt tax collectors or uh, immoral people who come to salvation readily because they knew that they were sinners. They knew that they could not save themselves, but it was the religious crowd that opposed Jesus so uh, heavily that eventually they crucified him. The religious crowd was the crowd that was blind to their own sin, blind to the sin of pride and self-righteousness, and their religion served not to save them, but to condemn them. But Jesus didn't come to promote religion. He didn't flatter those who were religious by saying, hey, I'm glad to see all of your religious activities that you have. I'm a religious person too. When the religious leaders complained about Jesus socializing with sinners and publicans and so on, Jesus replied in Luke 5, in verse 31, that they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Jesus wasn't saying that there are some people that are righteous enough to get themselves into heaven by their own good deeds. That's not what he was saying. But rather, he, by, by saying the righteous, he meant the self-righteous. I didn't come to call the self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Their pride blinded them to their sin, kept them from coming to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation. That was the religious crowd. Jesus is talking to a very religious man here. In our last study, we looked at John chapter 2 and verses 23 to 25, where the Bible says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man the bible says that many believed in jesus's name when they saw the miracles that he was doing but jesus didn't commit himself to them because he could see the true condition of their heart those verses serve as an introduction to our text this morning remember there are no chapter breaks in the original language it flows right in to the narrative. There's a connection between what we saw in chapter 2 and what's happening here in chapter 3. There's a connection with the people who observed Jesus' miracles in verse 23 and Nicodemus' opening statement to Jesus, where he said in verse 2 that we know that you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do these miracles that you're doing except God is with you. And it ties into what happened in chapter 2, that people believed because of the miracles. A further connection is that Jesus knew what was in men's hearts at the end of chapter 2. He knew um, what was going on in the thoughts of men, and that is evidence, uh, the connection is evident because of his reply to Nicodemus. Jesus could see beneath Nicodemus's religious veneer. Jesus knew what the real need of his soul was. Nicodemus needed to be born again. He needed the new birth. He didn't need religion or more of it. He needed to be saved. And that's really what this encounter teaches us. And the main thrust of this message this morning is that religion can't save you. In order to enter God's eternal kingdom, you need to be born again by the Spirit of God. We're going to look at three things this morning. The must of the new birth, the mystery of the new birth, and then thirdly, the means of the new birth. And the title of the message is, You Must Be Born Again. Consider, first of all, verses 1 through 7, the must of the new birth. Jesus says these words, to, to Nicodemus in verse 7, he says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Now there's a few things in these verses here that I want to talk about that show us the must of the new birth. Let me uh, just begin, though, by talking about the phrase being born again. That is not a new phrase or an uncommon phrase. Even in American culture. In fact, 
Uh, there was a time, maybe not so much anymore, but there was a time when the phrase being born again was a very common part of language in America. There was a study that was done years ago that came to the conclusion that 70% of all Americans claimed to be born again. 70%. President Jimmy Carter claimed that during his presidential campaign that he had been born again. And there was another study that was done that found that since Jimmy Carter, every American president has had some sort of religious experience claiming some sort of Christianity, many of them even referring to that as being born again. The point I'm making is it's not an uncommon uh, uh, or, or confusing phrase. And actually, the Bible speaks much about being born again. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 1 John 3.9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. 1 John 5, 18, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and on and on. But what does it mean to be born again? That phrase, born again, literally means this, to be born or have life from above. To have life from above. It carries the idea of a brand new start. It carries the idea of brand new life from God. We call that experience being saved, certainly, or regeneration, Titus 3.5, Titus uses the term regeneration, and it means the exact same thing. It means that when you're regenerated, you get a brand new life and a new start. Here's where a lot of people in the religious crowd get it confused. Because people are seeking after reformation. And what they need is regeneration. People are seeking after, you know, trying to turn over a new leaf or to get a new lease on life. Uh, there's a lot of people that I have witnessed to that I've come in contact with, especially around here. People who uh, people whose, whose lives are a wreck and they know it. They've made some bad choices and they know it. And they're reaping the results of those those bad seeds and bad choices in their life. And they're they're looking for a way out. And they find God. Right? But in reality, what they're looking for is just this new lease on life. What they're looking for is an easy way out of the problems in their life. They don't need to turn over a new leaf. They need a new life. Every person under the sound of my voice needs regeneration, not reformation. Reformation is something that is kind of like whitewashing. But regeneration will wash you white. Amen? It washes your heart clean. And with all that in mind, I want to share with you the must of the new birth. 
Let me show you why the new birth is necessary. In verses 1 and 2, I want you to note this with me. First of all, the nature of humanity makes it a must. Why do we need a new life? Because the nature of humanity makes it a must. Verse 1 says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now notice that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Have you ever wondered why? There's a lot of different theories out there, I guess, that people have. But I think the one that makes the most sense is that Nicodemus would have been in a whole lot of trouble with the other Pharisees if he openly associated with Jesus Christ. They hated Jesus. But Nicodemus was curious. There was something that, he, that was causing him to be drawn to the Lord. No doubt the miracles that Jesus was performing, that he was aware of, that is talked about in chapter 2. No doubt the things that Jesus said. Something was drawing Nicodemus to the Lord. But he was afraid of the Pharisees, but he needed these questions answered, and so he came under the cover of darkness. He had questions for Jesus Christ. Now, you'll notice that... When this man came to Jesus, he came humbly. He was actually very complimentary of Jesus. He said, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do what you're doing except God is with you. Totally different attitude than the other Pharisees who talked to Jesus Christ. He must have had some serious questions considering the miracles that he witnessed and so on. But I dare say that Nicodemus did not expect the answer that he received. Jesus told him, you must be born again. He skipped right over all the religion, all the veneer, and he got right to the issue. He said, you got to be born again. Surely Nicodemus must have thought, what does that mean? And maybe that's even a mistake. After all, if you look at Nicodemus, you'd find a man that had a whole lot of things going for him. He would never expect himself or others would never expect him to need to be born again, not Nicodemus. Maybe the drunk in the gutter, the wino, needs to be saved or born again. Maybe that wayward woman needs the new birth. Maybe that waste of life down the street who's always uh, who's homeless or who's in the gutter, maybe he needs to be born again, but not somebody like Nicodemus. Surely that doesn't apply to him. If you looked at him, you'd have thought that he had everything going for him. He had all the pluses of life and none of the minuses of the human condition. Look at what he had going for him. The Bible says that he was a Pharisee. We find that Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees were devoutly religious people. They had spent years and years studying the Scriptures, living according to the Mosaic Law. As a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus would have held a position of authority in the synagogue. He knew the scriptures concerning the Messiah, but the problem was he had never met, met the Christ of the scriptures. 
Nicodemus was religious, but my friend Nicodemus was not saved. All the religion in the world can never provide salvation. You can study the Bible from the day you're born. You can quote it word for word. But if you've never been born again, all you have is a knowledge of God, not a relationship with God. Being moral, being involved in church, being full of of religious activities, all of those things are good, but those things will never save a person. There may be some here this morning that that's all you have is religious activity and not a relationship with God. The nature of humanity makes this a must. Nicodemus was religious, but he was not saved. Nicodemus would have also been a rich man with position. In fact, tradition tells us that Nicodemus was one of the three richest men in Jerusalem. He had more money than he knew what to do with. But here's the truth of the matter, friend. What we have doesn't change what we are. You can have plenty of money, but it doesn't change the fact that you're still a sinner in need of a Savior. Money can buy you a lot of things here in this world, but it can never buy you heaven. It can never buy you a relationship with God. Nicodemus was a respectable man. Verse 10 of our text says, Jesus says, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? That's quite a phrase, quite a statement. A master in Israel. He was a respectable man. When he walked down the street, people would know who he was. He would have been held in great esteem because of his position and authority. He was a ruler and a master in Israel. And I would say this to you this morning. It doesn't matter what we achieve in this life. It still does not change what we are. It's good to be respected. It's good to have a good name among men. But that'll never provide a person with a right relationship with God. And here is where many well-meaning people get confused. They think that if they can be good enough or do enough uh, or even have enough, that it will guarantee them access into heaven. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's all religion does is promote do, 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 this, this, that. And somehow that's going to give you favor with God. But salvation doesn't come through doing. It doesn't come through being somebody. It comes through the new birth. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Why? Because no matter what you have or what you do or who you are, it does not change what we are. That we're sinners in need of a Savior. That's why Romans 3, 10 through 12, talks about none being righteous. No, not one. That we've all gone astray. That we're all useless and profitless unto the Lord. That's why Romans 5 and verse 12 tells us that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. What I'm saying is, The nature of humankind demands a new birth, a new life. But the second reason for the must of the new birth is that the nature of God's kingdom also makes it a must. The nature of God's kingdom makes it a must. Jesus said in verse 
3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want you to notice that Jesus says, Without the new birth, without being born again, you cannot see and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I want you to notice the word except. Jesus uses it two times. In verse 3, except a man be born again. In verse 5, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The word except is an imperative. And it reveals that there are no other options. It's a must. Jesus reveals that there is only one way to enter into the kingdom of God. A a man must be born again. Notice the word must. This is also an imperative, and it means to be absolutely necessary. You can't see and you can't enter the kingdom of God except you be born again. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, we need to understand that the Gospel of John deals with spiritual things. And I want you to look over in Romans chapter 14, because Romans chapter 14 gives us some insight into this term, the kingdom of God. Romans 14 and verse 17 The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Paul says the kingdom of God is not temporal. It's not necessarily tangible, something that you can put your hands on. It's not meat and drink as in physical, but rather it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Coupled with the fact that John deals with spiritual things, we find that also that the kingdom of God couldn't be seen by Nicodemus except through the new birth. And through all of that, we need to conclude that the kingdom of God has got to be referring to the things of God. Here's a good working definition of the the kingdom of God. The rule of God in the hearts of men. Spiritual things. The rule of God in the hearts of men. The spiritual things of God that can only be discerned and entered into through being spiritually born. Born again receiving life from above. Now let me say this to you, something I'm so thankful for. One of the most precious benefits of being born again is the fact that we receive a brand new nature and brand new life when we're saved. In this old nature, we're slaves to our sin. We're condemned because of our nature. But when we're born again, we get a brand new nature. A nature that wants to please God. A nature that wants to love God. 2 Peter 1.4 speaks of being a partakers of the divine nature. When you get saved, you receive God's nature. A nature from above. 
John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God, a new nature. Ephesians 4.23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The new man is created in righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10 says, And have put on the new man, which is re- in renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. The new man is after the image of the one who created us. Amen? The image of God. The new birth gives a person a brand new nature. And it's the only way to have entrance into the kingdom of God with a new nature. The bottom line is this. Except a man be born again or have life from above, he cannot know the things of God or be part of of God's kingdom, where He rules. Ultimately, that means heaven, friend. You following me this morning? This is why being born again is not a take it or leave it option. It's the only way a person can see or understand or enter the spiritual kingdom of God. The must of the new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. There's no other way that we'll ever see heaven without being born again. Secondly, notice the mystery of the new birth. Go back to John 3, verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Consider the mystery of the new birth. When Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again, it confused Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was thinking in physical terms, while Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms. Nicodemus couldn't grasp how this could be. And the Bible tells us here that he imagined himself going back into his mother's womb to be born a second time. Now, I'm sure his mother would have vetoed that idea in a hurry. He wanted to know, how is that possible? And so he asked Jesus the how of the new birth. Being born again, it's a mysterious thing. There's no doubt about that. Honestly, even though uh, you and I, are, uh, many of us are saved, uh, we still truly don't understand everything there is to know about being born again. It's a mystery. How could God do it? How could God love me so much? All the benefits that I even have of being a child of God, 
That's a mystery to me. But you know what? There's no one who should let the fact that it's a mystery cause them to avoid it or miss it altogether. There's a lot of things that we don't understand in life, but we still know they're true. Amen? I don't understand everything there is to understand about electricity, but I, because, just because it's a mystery to me, doesn't, I don't let it uh, you know, affect me where I sit in the dark all the time. I know it's true. Don't allow the mystery of the new birth to keep, one, keep, your, keep you from being saved. What I want you to notice, though, is how Jesus addressed this mystery for Nicodemus. In Particularly, I want you to notice in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This particular verse has been the source of much debate over the years as to what it actually means. When Jesus says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's not talking about baptism there. That's a false doctrine to say that baptism is part of our salvation. Baptism has nothing to do with our salvation. There are some who think that this is referring to the Word of God when Jesus says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Uh, there are some who believe that this may be referring to the Word of God because of the washing of water by the Word. That may be plausible because it does fit with Bible doctrine. There are some uh, that think that Jesus is referring to the prophecy of Ezekiel, which Nicodemus would have known being a Pharisee where the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. There's many who believe that Jesus is referring to this prophecy of Ezekiel. And it may be true. I don't necessarily know for sure. But contextually, it seems that Jesus is simply answering Nicodemus' question by contrasting a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Jesus is dealing in spiritual things. That's why he says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. But then you look at verse 8 and you find that Jesus compares the new birth to the wind. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Jesus tells Nicodemus that just as the wind can be felt and it can be measured and the effects of it uh, you know, can be seen, where it comes from and where it goes remains a mystery. The work of the Spirit of God is the same way, is what Jesus is saying. 
You can't necessarily see God do His work in a person's heart, but you sure can see the effect of the Spirit of God in a person's life, and you can know that it's real. I I can't see the wind. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where it's going, but I sure know it's real by the effect that it has. And so is the work of the Spirit of God in a person's heart. I cannot see God working in someone's heart, but I sure can see the effect of the Spirit of God and know that it's real. You know what? When you see a drunkard who leaves his bottle, you know that God has been at work in his life. When you hear a person who who used to have a foul mouth all the time and now they use clean language that honors the Lord, you know that the Spirit of God has been at work in someone's life. When you see a vile woman uh, who, who becomes a clean woman, you know that God has passed by and God has done a work in, his, in her heart. When you see a, a man who is a wicked, hateful, hurtful man turn into a sweet, loving husband and father, you know the Spirit of God has done something in his, in his life. It's a mystery because we don't see it happen, but there's no denying the effect of the power of God when He is at work in a human heart. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I can save you, and when I do, you're never going to be the same. That is what God does for all who come to Him by faith. He changes and alters their life forever through the power of His Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I feel like I'm losing some of you this morning. No, you're tired. Pay attention to the Word of God. You think, well, I'm saved. I know all of this, Pastor. There are people in this room who need the Lord. You need to be praying for them. Consider lastly with me the means of the new birth. Look at verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the means of the new birth. When Nicodemus hears all of these things, he wants to know how is it possible to be born again? Jesus takes these verses here to explain to him how the new birth can become a reality. First of all, in verses 13 and 14, we see the role of the Savior. The role of the Savior. Jesus said, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Savior's part in the new birth was to leave heaven above, to come into this world, to die for sin. And friend, I would say, to you this morning by way of application. That's exactly what Jesus did just for you. 
He left heaven. He left heaven's glory. He took upon himself a human body. He lived a life without sin. He died a horrible and an awful death upon a cross just so that you could have new life from above. Jesus reminded Nicodemus of the time that Israel sinned against God. And God sent serpents in among them to bite them. And as they did, many people in Israel died. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 21. We don't have the time to look over there. But when that tragic event took place, God commanded Moses to make a a, a serpent of brass and to put it on a pole and to put it up in the air. And all those who would look on the serpent would be healed. And Jesus said, it's just like that. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus Christ came into this world to be put on a cross. He came to die as a sacrifice for our sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21 or 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, He paid the sin debt that you have, that I have, in full. Hebrews 9.12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What does it tell us? It tells us that there is nothing more that you and I owe because Jesus paid it all if we'll receive Him by faith. Jesus Christ did what needed to be done when He died on the cross and He rose from the grave. That's the role of the Savior. But we see in verse 15 the role of the sinner. Because verse 15 says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. What is it that the lost, hell-bound sinner has to do in order to be saved? He doesn't have to do anything except believe. Believe. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in Him. What does it mean to believe in Him? Believe in His finished work. Believe in His payment for sin. Believe in His shed blood that He paid the price for my sin. I understand and recognize that I've offended God because of my sin. And in repentance, I turn in faith to Jesus Christ, believing that He paid my sin debt. Just like those people in Israel who had been bitten by those serpents, all they had to do was believe that if they looked, they would live. You can imagine how that scenario might have played out then with some people. What? You want me to look at a snake? What's a snake going to do? A snake in the air? That, I, I'm dying here. Can't you see that? 
and they chose not to look, and they died. But others who were hopeless, they saw their condition. They understood, I don't have any hope. All I have to do is look and I'll live. And they believed God and they did. And they lived. The hope for your soul, friend, is to look to the Savior and live. If you need to be saved, there's nothing left for you to do but simply believe that Jesus Christ paid your sin debt. That the work is finished. His finished work at Calvary is the payment for your sin. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, the Bible says to us here in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There's nothing left to do except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, have you done that? Are you saved? Are you sure about that? You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't understand the things of God. And you can't enter into the kingdom of God, where God rules, unless you're born again. But how does it come about? How does the new birth happen? By believing in what Jesus has done for you. Let me close with this here. What was it that drew Nicodemus to Jesus that night? Well, probably the events of chapter 2, the miracles that Jesus did. And Nicodemus said, nobody can do those things unless God is with him. Jesus, in chapter 2, drove the money changers out. Jesus performed those miracles that people were witness to. The Bible tells us that many people believed in him because of those miracles. No doubt Nicodemus saw all that Jesus did in those moments. And what he saw and what he heard probably created a hunger within his soul to know more about Jesus Christ. And so he came asking his questions and the answers that he got was the gospel. Someone might say, well, did Nicodemus ever get saved? Because the Bible doesn't tell us that here in this account. Well, I think he did. Because Nicodemus, in chapter 7, stood up for Jesus before the Sanhedrin. In chapter 19, Nicodemus helped Joseph of Arimathea put the body of Jesus in the tomb. He used to be a secret disciple. But Nicodemus was showing the fruit of a changed life, of a new life, by, by uh, identifying himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think he got saved. But as we close today, I want to draw your attention back to John chapter 2 for just a moment. Look in John chapter 2 again. Because verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Before Nicodemus ever came to Jesus, Jesus knew what was in his heart. Jesus knew that he needed to be born again when he came that night. And he cut right through all the religious nonsense and all the foolishness 
and told Nicodemus exactly what it was that he needed to hear. He told him that he needed to be saved. And what I'm simply saying to you this morning is, Jesus knows what's in your heart too. He knows whether you're saved or not. He knows whether or not you've been born again. He knows it all. And he's saying the same thing to you that he said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Friend, you'll never see heaven. There's not one person in this room who would say, I don't want to go to heaven. But there are some people in this room who are not prepared to go to heaven. You'll never, ever see heaven, friend, unless you're born again. You must be born again. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd work in hearts this morning according to your will. And I pray for those who've never been saved. Lord, may they see the must of the new birth. There's no other way. Certainly good works and religion will not save a person, will not give a person a right relationship with God. You must be born again with new life from above. And I pray, Lord, this morning for those who are not saved, that they would not be like the religious crowd who, in their pride, refused to bow their will to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish your purpose now. In Jesus' name, amen.